Hello and welcome to God's Own Scale podcast episode 36. Well, the smaller it is, the bigger the reward. In this episode, I speak with Gareth Beamish of ADC Painting to talk about his 6mm gaming and, more specifically, his love of the Sengoku Jedi era of Japanese history. Following back-to-back episodes where I've been speaking to 3D printing Kickstarter producers, this episode sees a return to the core ethos of this podcast, which is talking to gamers about their love of the hobby and their own particular passions within it. As ever, when speaking to the likes of Gareth, I sat back and learned a few things about a period I've only got the scantest of knowledge about. I hope you learned something too. In the news, Peter Berry from Bacchus has formally announced the virtual Joy of Six, uh, taking place on the 4th of July 2021 in place of uh, the face-to-face version, uh, which I think, in view of the latest news around lockdowns, uh, was a prescient move uh, from Peter in the first place. The Virtual Joy of Six is an exciting concept, and I'm going to be doing my bit to try and make it work. Uh, There's a lot of work going on in the background, as neither Peter nor I are particularly tech-savvy but it does promise to be a great day of online content and chat. This will probably be the last episode before that big day on the 4th of July, as I help Peter to pull the whole thing together. But most likely we will be chatting about the experience on the next episode or the one after that, hopefully. Uh, For the Virtual Joy of Six, we have some familiar names involved, uh, both presenting games uh, being involved in the panel with hopefully a transatlantic guest, as well as hopefully a link to one or two traders of interest who you'll be able to talk to about their ranges and future plans. We just make sh- we just need to make sure we don't uncross any fingers or toes prior to the day. Okay, that's enough of me waffling on. You're here to listen to Gareth. Let's talk about six. Mademoiselle from Okay, welcome to episode 36 of God's Own Scale podcast, where the smaller it is, the bigger the reward. And tonight I've got somebody with me who certainly knows the reward of God's Own Scale. Um, he's well-known across the various Twitters. Various Twitters? I don't think I've ever said that before. Um, but uh, fairly prolific with some of the most delightful, beautiful, amazing, run out of adject- adjectives, uh, pictures uh, that you will ever see of six mil figures on a landscape that you will not believe. Uh, is, is that enough of a build-up for you there, Gareth? I said glowing, uh, Sean, positively <laughs> glowing. Yeah, sorry. Thank you very much. Okay, I've got Mr. Gareth Beamish with me. Hi, Gareth, how are you? Good, thanks, Sean. It's great to be here. Good, good. Um, you are somebody who I've, um, I've admired for some time, um, with <laughs> the pictures uh, that you put up right. of your stuff, and, and not just in 6mm, but across the various scales, ranges, genres, etc. Um, you, you seem to know you, your way around a camera. Well, I, oh, I, I mean, you say that, I don't, actually. Um, 
don't have a clue. I'll build you up. I'll build you up as this movie. No, honestly, I just looked at a Google article and, um, you know, and and put all the settings on my camera and that's it. Took it from there. Yeah, yeah, that and Photoscape, you know, for manipulation, just auto buttons in Photoscape, and that's it, unfortunately. Well, um, before the end of this podcast, and certainly in the show notes, I'm going to be uh, putting up a link to your Twitter account because it, it has to be seen to believe, to be <laughs> believed. And I think you, you're certainly generating a bit of a name for yourself for some of the Photoshop editing that you are uh, doing with some of the more well known names around the wargaming circuit. Yes, yes. Notoriety, I think, probably more than that. <laughs> yeah, there, there might be a price on your head, I don't know. When, when shows reopen and uh, these people get get organised again, then uh, exactly. it, could, it could be interesting. <laughs> uh, Gareth, thanks very much for giving up uh, your evening to come and speak to me. You, you have been on my hit list for a while now uh, to... to Come and speak to me on the podcast because of your work in six mil, but not just because of your work in six mil, certainly across the scales. But um, as with any new guest onto the show, I'd like to get under the hood and have a little peek behind the curtain of uh, the guest to see what makes them tick and, and what got them to the point where they are today. So if you could give us a bit of a rundown on uh, what brought you into the hobby and onto this podcast. Yeah, well, um, I suppose it sort of started in the early 80s um, when a guy moved to the area and uh, he opened a shop selling uh, selling war game figures. And um, he, he also started a club and uh, a war games club. And it was a military modeling and war games club back then. But um, um, that club's kind of still going in a triggers broom kind of way, you know. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I think it had been going for about, um, I don't know, six months a year or so before i joined it uh, a couple of my friends were in it um so yes yeah, so i just joined and uh, and went from there really i started out in um 25 mil um italian wars and 16th century stuff and then moved on sort of more to ancients but um over the years i've played pretty much every historical period there is you know um did a fair bit of role playing um a lot of bushido the old FGU game. Crikey, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and um, a lot of White Wolf-based stuff uh, on the RPG front. Mm. Um, is, that the, the, is that the Vampire and Masquerade? And that sort it of is, stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just used that system for every RPG we played, basically. Yeah. Um, so we did a lot of that. Um, some board gaming. Um, played Magic the Gathering to a decent-ish standard. Um that's a rabbit hole to disappear down, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, I was I was very into that for quite some time, really. Um, but it does take up a lot of time and money increasingly these days. Exactly, yeah. Um, I, yeah I, can rem- but, I can remember being at a, a war game show that mu- it must be the best part of 20 years ago in Manchester. And I wandered into the basement of this university building uh, where the show was held. And there was an auction being held for magic cards. How oh, long has magic right. been around? Maybe not 20 years, but it feels like 20 oh, years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it must be. I will. Oh, uh, I don't know, to be honest. Yeah. yeah However, however long. Anyway, it was a long time ago. Mm. Certainly the guy who um, 
I, I went to the show with uh, is no longer with us, unfortunately. He died 11 years ago, and it was way before that. But any, right. anyway, the, the point is that there was this auction going on for magic cards. Yeah. And I was astounded at people were, that people were paying £50 for a card. Now, I know oh. it's been well eclipsed, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> people yeah. pay enormous sums for these cards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the very old ones, certainly. Mm. Is, yeah. is that what's it? I'm trying to. It's a locust card or something. Oh, Black Lotus, yeah. Black Lotus, Black there Lotus, you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's the so called Power Nine. Um, right. And they all, you know, they sort of fetch, you know, I don't know, a thousand quid each or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. big, big money, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not something I've ever um, been uh, involved with, really. Not because of a lack of desire, but just because nobody mm-hmm. that I, I knew at the time. Uh, I played it, but I've certainly watched one or two uh, things online, generally controversies in in the community online, because uh, YouTube is is full of uh, magic controversies where somebody's cheated or yeah, yeah, somebody's abused somebody or something. It's quite fun yeah, to watch. Yeah. 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 Uh, that, so uh, just brings us up to the, uh, the current day then, Gareth. So... You, you um, started in this shop. You've played just about every period and scale yeah. going, role-playing, magic. I, I suppose that the, the... I mean, the main thing is really is that I don't own anything Wargames-related now that's more than eight years old. Right. So um, it was really eight years ago that I had a bit of a um, reconnection, I suppose, with the hobby. Um, and everything I've got at the moment derives from there. So, you know, I've got a pretty long background in the hobby, but, you know, it's really fairly recently that all of the projects I'm doing now have been, have been going. And uh, Six Mill um, specifically, um, I've only been doing that for five years. Right. Um, and in, in fact, prior to that, I absolutely hated painting Six Mill. You know, I, <laughs> I just would not do it if it was at all possible to avoid. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like the scale, you know, other people were doing it. And I really like the look of um, stuff like towns and, and, and trees and things like that. Um, but I just hated painting the figures, mm. you know. So um, it was about, uh, well, I tell you, actually, it was February 2016. Um, I wanted to play uh, Blucher, you know, yep. the Sam Mustafa game. Yeah. And um, I bought, stroke traded some painted French from a friend of mine down here and rebased them. But, I mean, obviously, I had to, uh, I'd have to sort of do some units to fill in. And um, I figured, oh, well, you know, I can put myself through that. You know, I can endure that just for a few units, you know. Mm. Um, so um, I, I kind of went off and uh, had a look at uh, some online articles and um, might even watch a few videos as well, actually, on, on just how people went about painting it. Um, you know, and I, I kind of got this general impression about how people went about it, you know, that you don't have to paint everything which was a yeah. mistake I was making. You know, I was trying to do piping on cuffs and stuff. You oh, know? my goodness, yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's that impressionistic thing. And don't, like, if you make small mistakes, don't have to go back and correct it. Just keep yeah. going, I think, about the unit at the end and what have you. And um, so I, I sort of read all that and kind of internalised it, you know, to, to my own sort of painting style. And um, I, I painted a unit of 24 French Napoleonics. Um, so I put a stopwatch on and started painting them and they were done in 45 minutes. Wow. And I thought, Ooh, this is, 
there's a lot of potential here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you yeah. think I, a brigade in 45 minutes, that's, um, you know, mm. that certainly sets you thinking. It's um, a light bulb moment, I think, for six mil gamers when they yeah, that, when they realise really the potential, like you've yeah. just done. Yeah, that really was, you know, and um, yeah. So from that point on, you know, I thought, well, this is, you know, this is a really, um, this is a really useful, uh, well, a very useful scale, and it's going to make some things achievable that that weren't before. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that was a real, um, uh, a real revelation or revolution, even yeah um and uh the the second uh second thing about i think it was probably about a year later i've got I've, i found a tweet actually from from just after i did those um uh napoleonics in february 2016 and it said um painted some six mil for the first time in years not quite as bad as i remember but doesn't need a very different approach might persevere <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think you persevered. So, yeah, yeah, about seven thousand figures since then, I think. Later, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, the the second um, the second uh, project I did was for another Sam Mustafa game, and that was uh, Rommel. Oh yes. And um, you know, in Rommel, so your basic uh, unit, a base, is a company or a reinforced company or whatever. So um, for that one, I did. Um, 60 mil by 40 mil bases with either like two or three vehicles on or about eight infantry um and that meant i sort of really started to think about the kind of you know space that you have in six mil um and particularly with those bases so i did all those bases as these kind of mini dioramas you know so they'd be like eight blokes walking across a field you know there'd be hedges and a little road and stuff you know um tanks driving through fences and across high cornfields and all this kind of business yeah um and you know I, I really started thinking then about that uh the, the kind of space that your units occupy and what you can do in terms of basing and overall presentation really you know those six by 60 mil by 40 mil bases i mean say one three hundredth to make the maths easier you know that's like 18 meters by 12 meters yeah and that's a lot of space uh on just one unit base um so you know that was the other thing i think i, I took forward was um just how much um detail you can put on on not just the figure bases but also on your you know your village bases and your, yeah. your woods etc etc and that was a real um also a bit of a revelation um you know i think there's a really big difference between one three hundred uh between six mil and 15 mil for that you know you really notice the um you know the amount of virtual space that you have available yeah. in six mil compared with 15 um you know the the, it, the progression from 28 mil to 15 mil and then there's a huge leap i think to six mil yes and there's so much potential there for um for having for still retaining you know visible detail but but fitting more of it into to small spaces yeah um so yeah so i mean that was a really good project i, I really like those um i really like those figures uh, they don't see much use but uh you know i look at them in their box every now and then and uh they certainly um spark joy in a marie kondo way so <laughs> i've still got them you know <laughs> On sheer ownership, I should should probably sell them, but uh, there we are.
Yeah, and uh, to be honest, uh, Gareth, this is something I've gone through fairly recently. Um, with a sizable 15 mil collection in numerous periods, thinking, oh my goodness, I've not had some of these figures out for four or five years. Um, should I really be keeping them and, or should I try and re reinvest? Um, I recently made the decision to keep them and I'm, I'm absolutely delighted I did because you never recoup uh, the, the, the true value of some of these figures. And in actual fact, the the time and effort that you put into them, um, there there is a. The, I, I don't think everybody experiences this, but there is a joy in the knowledge that you've done this work, and yeah, uh, regardless of how how often you play with them, there's a there's a joy in in looking back <laughs> at them after several years and thinking and uh, and reminding yourself. Uh, the the time and place you were when you painted them and the efforts that you put into it. So, I, I think yeah. there's something a, a little bit um, intangible, almost about about uh, holding on to some of these things. Yeah, I I, I think I'm probably the opposite. Actually, I'm quite ruthless. Yeah, I have been. Listen, I've been the most ruthless. If you don't see action for two years, you know, you're off to eBay sort of thing. You're gone, yeah. I mean, yeah. Listen, I've, I've, I've sold entire collections. And yeah, yeah. at one point had a real cathartic moment where I cleared just about everything out of the house. Oh, right. Um, to the point where I had very little left uh, and then regretted it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> the money was nice, but uh, it didn't replace the joy that I got from some of these figures. But I'm well yeah, known at my yeah. club for... For, for going through um, a constant cycle of researching, buying, painting, playing, selling. Um, yeah, it's right. a constant cycle that I seem to go through, but I'm, I'm trying to halt it somewhat now. So, <laughs> so that is something you haven't used that only gets two years then, does it, before it's for the child? Oh, I mean, you know, it depends. You know, like I say, um, uh yeah, I mean, it's slightly different now, of course, because we've got a year and a half without anything. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. yeah um, It'd be a bit harsh, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be a bit harsh, yeah, yeah. Leave us in the boxes, it's COVID. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah but, um, yeah, no, I, I do tend to be a little bit... I mean, really, um, there's only... There's a very small club here. There's only, like, four of us. Um, yeah. So... Uh, it's quite difficult to get use out of them. So, I've, you know, I'm always conscious of having too many projects, really. Yeah. Um, and, and not being able to, to use all of them. So, um, and, and some well, things I do just to, just to try them out, you know, and, uh, you know, fully accepting that um, yeah. once I've got that out of my system, I'll, I'll, I'll sell them and, and do the next things. <laughs> you are a ruthless man, Gareth. I, well, <laughs> <laughs> you scratch the itch and then think, yeah, I'm going to cast well, you to I mean, cast I, I, I've, now. I've done that with a lot of recent projects, you know, so I mean... Right. Um, I, I did. I've done fifteen mil World War Two Japanese, and uh, I, I only did them because I wanted to do jungle bases. Right. You know, um, I'm 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 probably the the country's biggest user of a static grass applicator. So um, you know, I want to uh, I want to talk to you about that actually because <laughs> yeah. it's a pretty um, it's it's a uh, how, how can I describe it's a, a bit of a trademark I think uh, your bases. Yeah, are, are, are yeah. quite a trademark on your use of static grass, and I, 
I was I, making I the assumption the time, that yeah. you were using a static grass applicator. Yeah, I use it all the time now. I use it for yeah. everything. Yeah. Oh, God, um, you're going to cost me some money now, Garth. I just know you are. Maybe well, we haven't better talk God, they're that. much cheaper now. They're cheaper than when I got mine. Really? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, let's go on to that shortly. Let's mm, go on to sure. that shortly. Um, where where just I? roughly, <laughs> <laughs> roughly, where on in the country are you? Roughly, I mean, roughly, I'm in Southwest Wales, and, and roughly, and roughly, it is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I didn't want your street and house. No, like no, I, Pem- I, in Pembroke, I am. Yeah. Pembroke, right? Okay. Like, roughly, I was like, oh, you've been here then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been to is um, is St David in Pembrokeshire. Uh, yeah, I think so. Just about. Is yeah, that, is that's the name of it, isn't it, St David? It's yeah, Royal yeah St. it's not Royal St David, is it? That's the golf club. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's no, the golf no. club. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You don't have a very Welsh accent, is is the point? Oh no, it. no, I'm no, I'm I'm no, I'm expat. I was born in Yorkshire, actually. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Goodness me, Ken from the Yorkshire Gamer will be ever so pleased. I've had a exactly, Yorkshireman yeah, on yeah. the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Living under the constant burden of always being right. Um, <laughs> yes however it sounds like you're an expat so i don't know I'm very much expats. so yeah yeah. yeah yeah um and but you've got a, sounds like quite a small group a, a small club down there have you got a name for the club it is now um i mean <laughs> uh it's, it's currently called the war games association of south pembrokeshire oh okay uh, uh, wasp but, um yeah yeah but i mean that's a little bit grandiose now really as i say there really are only four of us so it's it's much it's not quite very official it's a bit more ad hoc really so okay and you yeah. do you organize the show then i take it the what is there a show that you put on good lord no no oh right okay who no. am i thinking <laughs> of that <laughs> I, I thought the uh, i thought show? war games association oh. of uh, south pembrokeshire put on a uh is it Crusade or? Oh uh, no 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 that's uh, that's Penarth yeah. Oh right, it began with yeah. a P. Yeah no that's hundred miles away. Oh gosh, or, that's well, or thereabouts or eighty miles away. It's practically the other side of the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we are practically the other side of the world. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right, so it's a, it, hmm. it's quite a smallish club then. So hmm. what what's a typical club night then? I, I appreciate there haven't been many club nights for the last eighteen months. No, I was going to say no. I mean, no. Uh, well, they, they, we haven't uh, we haven't got back actually because uh, we're sort of having a bit of a um, issue at the moment with the premises, you know, about uh, continuing to use current premises. So right. we haven't been back since before COVID. But um, yeah, we're the we're the same. Yeah, in Stoke. Yeah. I mean, I guess World War Two is quite big. I think that's probably the common period we yeah. sort of have, um, and you know, because mm. I, I I still haven't sort of managed to get my head around the fact that i'm not terribly into world war ii but i keep doing it for some reason <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah i suppose world war ii is it's a big i, 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 I often make the comment that i only know the shape of two tanks and one is a sherman and the other isn't <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. but uh I, i'm slightly tongue-in-cheek I, you know yeah. I, I recognize a tiger and a panther and things but i've um i struggle with world war ii myself to be honest mm. <laughs> Um, are, are you lardy players then, Dan? There or what sort of rules? Um, they are chain of command. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't play any lardy games. Funnily enough, yeah. Um, mainly because I, I mean, I'm mostly into uh, ancient, medieval, and also um, large battles. Yes, yeah. so it's always been my sort of focus. So they just don't do anything that I that I do. Mm. Um, the only lardy game I play is Bag the Hun, but I play that with mounted samurai archers. Um, 
Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a variant I've never heard of before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although, although I'm sure I've seen a tweet where you, you talk about Bag the Hun and... Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, samurai. Yeah. But so. yeah, there, yeah, there is a there is a rationale behind it. But yes, yeah, so. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay, so um, uh, a bit similar to myself, I think, in that I, w- I will play World War Two, and I have played mm. quite a lot of World War Two because it's very popular at my club. But um, other than A Bridge Too Far, The Longest Day, and uh, Kelly's Heroes, that's. That's about that is the research into World War Two I've I've done really through those. Ah, uh, right, films. yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm very interested in in the history, yeah. But you know, that's mostly from a sort of political, you know, social and sort of very high end, you know, yes. highest level military really. And uh, I, I keep sort of getting into doing you know company level World War Two and stuff, and I, I think I you know I struggle to wrap my head around that, you know. Yeah. Uh, but as I say, I keep doing it for some reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, just coming up, bang up to date then. So any any war games projects or figures that you're in at the moment are no more than eight years old, mm. which is, I, I assume that you've had some sabbatical or mass mass exodus of uh, the uh, collections that you had prior to that. Kind of, I, I just kind of wasn't really, I was, yeah, I was kind of, just doing like 50 i think i was playing a lot of 50 mil world war Two, but i wasn't really um i wasn't really up to speed with hobby where the hobby was you know with yeah. like current rules and current figures etc um it was like it was really only 2013 i think that i really got back into that and then you know decided to go and revisit uh, a lot of projects that i'd done before yeah and some new ones as well so, so what brought you back to the fold um i don't know i suppose oh, i don't know really maybe sort of changes in uh life circumstances i don't know really um mm. I, I i think i'm pretty sure the catalyst was saga right um and uh it was uh i was talking to um i uh, was talking to mike hobbs you know very much in our thoughts i suppose nowadays yes, absolutely yeah um because uh, he'd worked on saga and he um he'd recommended it and i was talking to him at panath about it so i just bought it at panath and uh went back and read it and I thought, oh, this is fantastically innovative. You know, games like weren't like this. You know, yeah, last time I looked, this is yeah. this is this is really interesting. I just roll a six and you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I was, you know, this is this is actually, you know, because those ancient skirmishes used to be rubbish. You know, you oh, just yeah, have, absolutely. People yeah. used to just all meet up in the middle of the table and then you'd have this dice rolling contest and marking off wounds and stuff. Yes. Uh, and there was this suddenly there was this sort of dynamic tactical game. Um, so I think that was the catalyst really to go and have a look at you know what was around for for other um other periods and other sort of um scales sort of battle more battle orientated things um yeah so and that was you know discovering stuff like sam mustafa and um uh peter pig rules i really like those yeah um and uh a lot of ancient rules lost battles for, for ancients uh, and, the field saving rules yeah, yeah yeah and um yeah, it was just sort of discovering all these new games. And I think that really sort of um, rekindled my sort of interest in in uh, in games and, you know, game design and how rules are written, etc., and how you go about modelling warfare. And, you know, obviously there'd been a lot of movement forward in that field. And yes. um, so it was really just reconnecting with it, I think. Yeah, I think Saga's an interesting one because this is 
purely my point of view on things. And I played a little bit of Saga, but not masses. But it seemed to be a real revolution around about that time in how rules were written and presented uh, in the historical market I'm talking about now. Because yeah. of, uh, I think that the fantasy and sci-fi genres, uh, obviously led by Games Workshop, are, are a different beast entirely. But how mm. Saga came and hit the market in uh, the presentation of the game, the battle boards... Um, the, the the way that the uh, combat system worked, the yeah. the whole presentation of it through Gripping Beast, I mm. think for me was a, a real sea change in in production of war games rules um, and, yeah, and suppose, what they yeah. could be. That you know the, this prof, this more far more professional glossy look to things. I'm sure there were glossy war games rules prior to that and. I just yeah, can't think well, of them at the top uh, well, of my head. Flames of War, I suppose. Yeah, Flames of um, War, uh, sort of going down that Games Workshop yeah. uh, model of business, I suppose, where they were, and they're constantly reinventing World War Two, aren't they, as a company? Uh, yeah. By reducing, re, uh, releasing a new edition and then new uh, yeah, faction we, or army books, but yeah, um, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting business model, but I, I think the whole the whole brand of Saga as it was, as it came out of uh, Studio Tomahawk, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, the Gripping Beast picked up on the back of all the uh, Dark Age ranges. Mm. Uh, was a real sea change, I think. And in yeah, fact, yeah. I'm fairly sure it's the first time I ever met Mike Hobbs uh, when he was demoing the game. Uh, oh, right, okay. Possibly yeah. Salute, I can't quite remember now, but I do remember his smiling face. Yeah. <laughs> looking up at me. Yeah. Mind you, he looked up at most people, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. Not to be sizest. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but what, yeah. what a wonderful guy. Really um, is, yeah. yeah. So, uh, did you play some Saga back then? Then we did. We played quite a lot of Saga, actually. Um, yeah, we, you know, we. I think there was quite a few of us that had it. So I think, um, so yeah, we maybe had about six players that were told that were playing Saga. So we did play a lot of it back then. Um, uh, for for a while anyway, and uh, but that's sort of have you moved on to second out. edition at all? Or? No, I haven't really. No, um, no. Um, I we played the Crusade one, but uh, we played oh, the Crusade yeah. one, but in, instead of um, single figures, we were using like elements of fifteen mil figures. Okay, yeah. Um, Which would work just as well. I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, you play so I play Saga in six mil, you know, yeah. without any trouble at all. I think. Um, Pip Broden does that, doesn't he? Yes, absolutely. I think him, yeah, and yeah. Neil Shook. Yeah, uh, but, but certainly, I, I think yeah. there's some plan that we might do Saga, um, maybe the Ancient Saga or something like that. Or, uh, yeah, there's or, the Punic or Wars one the minute, Yeah, and I think we'll do that with 15 mil and like, you know, one sort of elemental equal two figures or something like that, you know. Yes, yeah. So it'll be Saga, but it'll be like 150 figures aside sort of thing. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Okay, then coming up to date... Um, Nearly up to date, nearly up to date, because I followed you on Twitter for some time because um, we, we probably won't touch on this too much, but you do run a painting service, don't you? I do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, ADC Painting? ADC Camp. Painting, yeah. Yeah. And I th again, I think uh, the first time I heard um, the name of your company was through Mike. Yeah, that's, yeah, 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 I know. He was, he was great for giving me free publicity, Mike. 
Yes, yeah, um, almost every episode of Meeples oh, yeah, would yeah. start with uh, exactly, him saying, I've yeah, yeah. received a new pack- another package from Gareth. And, yeah, uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so you, you have a Twitter presence, um, which I, I think the link to aide-de-comp painting is on there. But I became aware of you because I can remember opening Twitter one morning and being hit by one of these photographs that I, I mentioned in your introduction, which were just visually stunning. Um, yeah, right. And it was Sengoku-era Japanese. Uh, right. um, and I seem to remember you putting out a tweet saying, um, I did buy just a few of these just to have a play around with, and now I've painted a couple of thousand or something. <laughs> something like that, yeah, I'm paraphrasing. Um... But... Yeah, no, it was yeah, it was sort of the yeah the before and after photo, um, yeah. from that first sort of test base. Um, yeah. So so how how did that happen? <laughs> well, um, well, I'd started it in fifteen mil, because um, I'd intended to do I'd started in fifteen mil, intended to do battles in the Age of War. Yeah. Um, the Peter Pig set. Peter Pig, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I oh, when would that have been? Twenty fifteen, maybe I started that. And um, so Battles in the Age of War has, uh, is based on um, 30 mil bases with three figures on. Yeah. So I thought, well, oh, that's a bit rubbish, really. I'm going to do 40 mil bases with five figures on because that's yeah. going to look better. And, um, you know, of course, in hindsight, that just put the whole project completely out of reach of any kind of completion. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it is without doubt one of the most stupidest ideas I've ever had. Well, you're uh, in good you company. Know, I, you're I, in I, good the company. The slightest bit of thought would have, you know, made me realize this but no no carried on you know we're war gamers gareth well you know yeah, thought no, no. rarely comes into a decision this made no sense at all no. but um i mean i did paint a lot of them i must have i painted about i don't know 500 500 maybe right the peter big figures were they these were they were old glory oh, okay um, yeah. i know i should whisper this. I, I mean i really like peter pig rules but i yeah. i don't like their figures very much oh Right. But we'll move on from that. Yes, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And um, yes, I was doing it at 15 mil, but um, it was really, um, as I say, moving very, very slowly. Yeah. Um, so when I was doing, um, once I'd done these sort of first two six mil projects, I thought, well, OK, I'll, I'll have a look at it. Um, I'll have a look and see what if I can do them in six mil, you know. On the, on the face of it, you think, well, you probably can't, can you? The nature of samurai is not really suited to that sort of small figure. But I got some anyway. And um, <clears throat> one of the one of the things that was that I really wanted was to be able to have the uh, designs on the sashimono and the nobori. Um, you know, sashimono, those little flags on the back, and nobori yep. are those tall, distinctive banners. Yeah. And I really wanted those to be. Um, visible or distinguishable so it meant that I, I wasn't going to be able to do those designs freehand um so that meant decals and um they'd be very very small decals very uh, small yeah so and every figure would have to have two sort of two mil decals on them and uh, this wasn't terribly appealing but uh, <laughs> but i figured i'd give it a go and um so i printed out a sheet on uh of on paper you know to get the size right and um i sort of cut around the decal bit and folded the bit of paper and uh, you know glued it onto a, a beer metal figure just to get some idea of the size and w- what you could see 
and um and that was it really that was the sort of that was the sort of bob ross style happy accident <laughs> you know um because i realized then that i could just print these out in paper and fold them over the sashimono right and that would be so much easier than decals incredibly easy yeah way way easier and that um while it still takes quite a long time to you know to cut those out and glue them on it's nowhere near as bad as decals no, um, no. and it also meant that um if some of the sashimono were miscast or were different sizes or whatever this didn't matter because you know you were just gluing this paper sashimono over the top of them yeah um so i printed the sashimono out as a slightly darker color and then all it needed to do then was to paint in the field and then use that same color for the the ties usually that hold the sashimono on and then the bori yeah. um, and that was it and that really um and that really sort of um sealed the deal i think um for, for moving it over to six mil you made so, you made a really interesting comment on, on one of your tweets where you said you'd thought about doing these designs freehand now this may have been with your 28 mil stuff i'm not quite sure but you mm. said I, I did think about doing them freehand but you don't trust yourself to paint a line and three circles no i didn't know in 15 mil i mean the um the mori um clan the 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 camon is um is just that three dots and a line yeah but i made decals for those right. because i didn't trust myself to be able to like to do that consistently the same size right um so yeah i mean there was and there was no way i was going to be able to freehand some of those complicated ones in six mil mm. and like i say i really wanted them to be distinguishable even if you yeah. can't make them out entirely you know i wanted you to be able to tell the difference between some of the various designs in circles yeah um and you know by printing them then obviously that was achievable yes yeah you can print things at much higher resolution than human eyes can see so <laughs> usually you know so um yeah. Yeah, and that uh, so that meant that I could cross the whole project over into six mil, right? Uh, which obviously meant fifteen mil went to eBay, yeah, and that, and that financed the whole project. Wow! <laughs> well, wow. more than more than financed the project actually. I financed the project, enabled me to buy some stupidly expensive books and things as well, <laughs> which you generally need for the samurai. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah, they can, they yeah. can be can get expensive, can't they? Well, the, most yeah. of them are by Stephen Turnbull, aren't they, as well? So. Uh, I, there is a lot of stuff. The English language there. ones, anyway. Unless you're going to tell yeah. me that you get some uh, original sources. <laughs> well, yeah, that's I kind of sort of began moving towards that. Yeah, certainly. So, um, yeah, I, I don't. I, yeah, there is a lot. Of, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> most of what's accessible is basically by Stephen Turnbull. So yes. Um, yeah. It's readily accessible in this country, isn't it? I think, and it, I think anybody it's readily accessible. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, um, yeah. I, I, I mean, the thing, I, I'm, I'm trying to avoid saying anything. Bad I, about I, I can Turnbull. tell. I can uh, tell. Should we move off Stephen Turnbull? <laughs> well, mm, I mean, I, I would say that nobody has done more to, to um, you know, um, increase the sort of viability of, of wargaming the Sengoku than, than Stephen Turnbull. So. Yeah. Um, and I think he does get some flack in certain quarters, but um, you know I think it's it's be kind and remember that at least. Yes, yeah, and he does actually appear in the latest 
Netflix uh, samurai thing, doesn't he? Age of Samurai. I think. <laughs> he he's, does, yes, he does. He's, he gets a talking head space on there. But anyway, let's move off Stephen Turnbull. Mm. <laughs> so uh, what was the original plan then when you first uh, got these six mil samurai? What, what, was, what vision did you have in your head? Well, um, by that time, I'd kind of... Um, by that time, I'd sort of moved away from um, the way that most war games rules do... Um, deal with Sengoku um, and uh, I was moving to moving towards a, a different representation um, and the good thing about six mil is that this let me um, ultimately do these kind of units on a single base which you can't really do in 15 um, um, I suppose you should talk a bit about Sengoku unit organization yes um, because I'm not familiar with it. Right. So most war games rules um, divide Sengoku armies up into units of um, like Ashigaru spear, Ashigaru gun, Ashigaru bows, foot samurai and mounted samurai. Yeah. And these are your basic units of an army. <clears throat> the problem with those is, is that the, the, historical, um, the historical equivalents of those units are very, very small. You know, they're less than 100 men. And even allowing for sort of combining some of them together just for ease of use for the war games table, you're not going to get them much above 300. <clears throat> and obviously the problem there is if you're doing an army of 30,000 men, then you're going to need a hundred units. Yes. Um, and the other problem is that um, all of these um, units or weapons groups, and usual term is a kumi, right? So it's a group. Um, these are collected together in sort of regional units of could be anywhere from a few hundred to over a thousand men um and these uh these various weapons groups these various kumi all support each other right so you can't separate them out you know you can't just grab all of your ashigaru spears and put them together into one big unit and call yeah. and say that's two thousand men um, because they belong to different people yeah so my uh, I, I gradually moved towards the idea that essentially if you want to do a big battle game instead of representing these um kumi you'd be better off representing these divisions themselves uh, divisions don't be called a sonai um so these would be like about a thousand men or so right and you know and again you could for war games purposes you could combine two of these units together and so somewhere between one and two thousand men perhaps uh, and this would obviously make, mean that you could do those battles with 30,000 men uh, much easier with this kind of unit. Yes. Um, obviously, the, then there's an issue with representing that kind of unit um, on the table because you're going to want those five different troop types yeah. making up part of the unit. Uh, now, in 6 mil, you can do that. You know, So my 6 mil units are um, on bases which are 95 mil by 70 mil right that's quite and, big isn't it actually yeah 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 it is yeah um and then you know you'll have like a front line will be missile troops and then behind them there'll be a couple of groups of guys with spears and then at the back you'll have your heavy armed samurai yeah. some on horses some or not and then somewhere in the middle a command group with a load of flags and a few commanders and stuff yeah <clears throat> um so that was where I was kind of getting towards with the 15 mil. But in, in 15 mil, obviously, 
um, you'd be making those units up by by having different um, you know different bases of the relevant yes. troop types, and you yeah. maybe have about eight of these. Yeah. Uh, but in six mil, you could put them all on one base. In fifty mil, you're probably not going to put them on one base because that would be like a oh, I don't know fifteen centimeter square or something. Yeah, it'd be quite unwieldy, um, wouldn't it? And you'd also lose utility. Yes, um, because. Yeah. One of the things we're doing those kind of bases meant it was only for big battles, but I also wanted to do small battles. So yeah. there was going to be a secondary project down the line, which I'd have to replicate, you know, when I couldn't get double use out of the figures. Yes. Uh, so in six mil, it's okay. You don't mind doing two projects in six mil. That's easy. But in yeah. 15 mil, it's way too much work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of moved towards, um, towards that kind of uh, a big battle approach, really. Um, and this is it's similar to Napoleonics, you know, if you um, if you're going to do a Napoleonic um, division level game, then your basic unit might be a battalion. Yeah. But you're not going to do um, Vagram with a battalion. No. You know, you're going to use brigades. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's similar to that with Sengoku. It's just that the difference in the Sengoku is that those brigades are composed of usually composed of more troop types than even Napoleonic uh, um even Napoleonic brigades. Yeah. Um, and then that obviously requires a different treatment in terms of rules. Um, uh, on the one hand, it does mean that you abstract a lot of stuff. You know, the various interplays of all of the constituent parts of the of a sonai, uh, you can abstract that into some kind of you know numerical value or a, an attribute, depending on what your rules are. Yeah. Um, without having to know. Um, exactly where all the various parts are at any one time and how they interact. Um, and that's good because a lot of the time we just don't know. Yeah. You know, there just isn't records in the Sengoku for that. Had you moved away from Battles in the Age of War then at this point? I, I'd kind of, I'd, I'd, I'd got to the point where um, where I'd, uh, I, I'd started looking at, um, you know, the way... Battles in the Age of War, you can have um, missile troops amongst your Ashigaru spear or missile yes. bases. So you can build a unit up of Ashigaru bow, Ashigaru guns, and Ashigaru spear in one unit. Yeah. And I was getting towards the point where I would say, well, it's quite simple. I just add samurai into that. Yeah. So you have samurai bases as well. Um, <clears throat> the problem is that those units were going to get very big. Yeah. You know, um, in terms of bases, they were going to be up to, you know, it's hard to keep them below 12. Yeah, twelve bases. Um, I, I think the rules are generally around about eight bases, aren't they? For the yeah, usually. Uh, I mean, there's no reason why you can't go higher. No, but, but, no. But, but the other thing was that taking that approach, you know, representing um, having a base to represent each um, type, you know, that also meant having a big pool of bases to choose from in order to so you could form your units depending yeah. on what the stats were. Um, and eventually, it, it just seemed to me much easier to have a single base and then yes. even though i don't like labels on bases was to have some kind of means of recording uh, the unit stats on on the base yeah um so that's kind of where this uh, that's kind of where these big bases came from and uh, so there's a big base and then there's like a triple dice cell okay. uh, you know like an mdf dice cell thing yeah. um, on the back and those carry counters and the counters tell you uh which um which clan which sort of next level up division they're part of and um other stats then like how many guns do they have and what's the missile capability or, you know whatever this kind of thing um 
and and that that um that came from when i I sort of moved on to um converting a board game called Tenka Toitsu uh into a tabletop set so that's a hex encounter board game right um and uh so i basically converted that from hexes onto squares uh to 10 centimeter squares um and then the units became similar to the tenka toitsu counters so those counters had those three stats you know you had um you know, what uh what overall unit they were from um how many guns they had and then you had like an attack and defense rating uh so I, I used that for quite some time um and then uh, because it was a little bit too board gamey you know it had a combat results table i started playing around with um uh the simon miller's um the rules you know to the strongest. I, I, I really liked the strongest yeah i yeah. really liked playing that game and um I thought I'd have a go at that. And and I'd seen some stuff about his for King and Parliament rules as well. Oh, yes. Um, and that sort of did things in quite a, a, a novel way in terms of rolling combat dice. Uh, there was, um, I think it rolled versus eights instead of sixes. And, yeah. and this enabled you to add bonus dice much easier than you can into the strongest. Um, so I kind of had a go at that, really. And... Um, uh, I gave that an initial go, and I uh, kind of liked how it felt. And um, Simon was very kind. Simon actually sent me a copy of the of the uh, the rules, um, the ECW rules. Yeah. And um, so that's basically where I am now. Really, is uh, is um, I've got the um, command and control sort of system from the board game Tenka Tuitsu, and it's sort of bolted on to the um, the moving and fighting and stuff from for king and parliament right. albeit heavily modified i mean you know i haven't used any of the troop types from from for king and parliament it's just the basic that basic um scheme of um activating and, and moving and and fighting right you know. so it's very very much a, a sort of taking the best bits and then bolting on uh your own kind of yeah it's because I, I mean i i thought that the the command um system in tenka to it was a really good way of um of modeling that um uh, modeling having the player as the army commander because yeah. you know it has these um each sort of clan or whatever each part of an army has to operate under under an order yeah. uh, that kind of restricts what it could do and i i you know in big battle games i usually like some form of um inhibiting how the player um micromanages melee and stuff like that you know like it's just a good way of trying to put some kind of barrier in between so you don't have total control over everything that's going on right um and tenka to it so it was a really good model for this so it was just a question of taking that and you know when it when a because what that system does is activate various clans and then as soon as a clan activated you would just use the um king and parliament based idea to to, to do the physical moving and and right. stuff because it's a grid-based game, isn't it? Uh, it is a grid-based game. I really like grid-based games, and yeah. um, I'd I, I'd started. Um, there was a transitional period actually between Battles of the Age of War Tenka Tuitsu, where I was using uh, a version of um, oh I don't know what's it called um, oh a Pulse of Battle or Field of Battle or 
Right. It, it's like the second generation of PK. It's by Brain well, Okay. And okay, uh, yes. all these rules yeah. are called Off Battle. <laughs> yeah. Straight, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of those. So I was using one of those, and um, and I was playing that on a grid. Um, but I mean, initially I was doing that just because it made movement easier, and you don't have to concern yourself with. Uh, thinking about minute of moving and turning, you know, if you could just got the game running on a grid, it's like you know, like a stabilizer of wheels, I suppose. You know, yeah, you can, you can get on with doing the sort of command and the combat and the and stuff without having to worry about flanks and and other you know wheels and stuff. Well, like millimeters that. But, of movement, I think. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. A but, lot of but, the Peter Pig I mean, games are gridded now, aren't they? So exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I prefer gridded games to be honest. Anyway, so um, so I just sort of kept that, um, you know. Tenka to it, who obviously had to go to a grid first. So, um, you know, and King and Parliament uses a grid as well. So, yes. yeah, it just made sense. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I know and, some uh, people don't like them, but, um, you know, there you go. The, the criticism I often hear is that it looks too much like a board game. But in my experience, it, the table doesn't have to look gridded, does it? it? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I don't mind you. I just have like a little dot. It's, it's virtually imperceptible. Yes. You, know, you, you can't see it as a grid at all. No, um, no. Same with the Rommel games. You know, I've posted pictures of Rommel games, and I've had people say, "Oh, I thought it was playing on a grid." <laughs> you know, so, well, you know, it's there. You just got to zoom in at the right angle and see the little dots. You know. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so, where are you at the moment then with your uh, collection and gaming of the Sengoku period? Oh well. Is, yeah. is the collection I mean, finished? Oh God, no, good question. God, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is no, a silly question. No, isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, the Sengoku Jida is probably about, I don't know, 70% of the hobby for me. Right. Maybe. So um, so I do, because I've got um, the, the large battle one in 6 mil. I've got a small battle uh, project going in 6 mil. Yeah. Um, I've got um, I've got about 100, 120, maybe 28 mil. Uh, for doing scuffle games and skirmish games. So the test of honour. Yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I did this really, um, really good um, test of honour solo campaign thing. I right. kind of got into. I had a bit of a breakthrough on. Yeah, because enforced solo gaming and all the rest of it. Yes, uh, yeah, COVID, etc. But um, yeah. yeah, that that worked really well. So, um, so I sort of started a, um, this kind of solo narrative campaign type thing with a, yeah. a version of, of of test of honor um and i did that um oh i don't know when was that several months ago i think i was doing that um, is that a homebrew thing or have you used a published system for that for for the actual test of, the test of honor campaign yeah um let me see no it's it was really just um I, I tried to sort of fit it in with um, the uh, two-hour war game stuff. Okay. But but in the end, I just really, you just um, start with a scenario. I got a couple of RPG books, you know, and um, would just sort of, you just run a scenario and then you generate an encounter after it and, um, and just sort of think about what the next logical thing to happen is. Right. And then that should generate another scenario and you sort of follow a storyline like that. So it's much more, um, uh, it's much more intuitive driven yeah. rather than um driven by random tables you know right um yeah so i did that that was really um quite interesting and uh um i had got to the point of doing a, a larger scale skirmish with the same people from that campaign yeah. so you know moving them into a different um a different scale of warfare 
um, which I kind of quite like. But uh, yeah, so and at the other end, then I've been looking at uh, integrating the big battle game into a into a campaign um, yeah. based on a board game. Uh, it's based on a board game called um, A Most Dangerous Time. Right. Is that still available? Um, as far as I know, I've got it's, it. Was, it's available on Vassal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's how I've got it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it probably is. Uh, I can't remember who does it. It uh, is it might be Multiman. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But don't quote me on that. After, uh, nobody's listening, guys. So nobody no, it's fine. On it. don't <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, I love that idea actually of uh, taking um, one set of uh, battles, if you like, in, in one scale, and then moving it through a campaign yeah, into, a, it, into either a smaller it, or a larger game. It, it's something that I've always connecting those battles. Yeah, yeah, it's something I've always had. This um, I don't know. Do you, do you do you remember BattleTech? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I never played that, but what they did was that they covered absolutely every possible level. You know, they started out with this game of, like, a couple of mechs aside. And then they eventually had they had a role-playing game. They had company-level games, divisional-level games. You had, like, a planet-level game. All the way up to this sort of diplomacy-level board game across the entire galaxy. Yeah. And um, I really liked the idea that, you know, you could have all of these um, different levels within the same sort of umbrella of a, uh, you know... A, of a period sort of thing mm. um so yeah ultimately i thought that was quite an idea that you could have this um you could on the one hand you could have an ongoing army level campaign and at the same time you could be set um setting this sort of very low level skirmish game within it yes as part of it running alongside so with, with yeah. characters and personalities yeah exactly yeah you know um so yeah so i was kind of doing that with the with the 28 mil i think i introduced my first historical character into it uh, i don't know about 10 games in or something so i was going to say are you using historical characters or are these fictional it's i mean the, that's the other thing actually is it's um uh, it was also an excuse for me to find out more about um uh the the area and the time it was uh, it was going on because you know the scenario generated questions like you know who was in charge here etc yeah uh, so that was a useful um way of uh, you know <laughs> play games and then you can go away and look up um, who these people were and uh, what what exactly was going on and um i sort of set it uh, it was set um uh set in the early 1560s and that's kind of like a sort of in awari province that's odinobanagas province and um yeah it was just sort of a uh, it's not a very deeply covered time about what was going on there so um, right. it was just interesting really to find out what was happening Almost like um, a dark ages, was it? Of the, well, um, it's it's the time after he wins Okehasama and his invasion of Mino. Um, so it's usually you just go straight from one to the other. So it was just kind of filling in those kind of lost couple of years, really. Right. Um, and what was going on there. So, yeah, so that was quite interesting. Yeah. The... Um, 28 mil stuff then what what figure range do you use for that for the one more time stuff? <laughs> what figure range don't i use yeah uh, okay uh, i'm assuming uh, perry's in there somewhere ah uh, 
I'm going to I'm, I'm get, get in trouble now. I'm not You're not going to say you of, don't like this. I'm not a massive fan of Perry oh, Swift. But, they're uh, delicious. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, okay. You're, you're the expert. Listen, I, well, I just I, look I, at I, it and I, think that's pretty. I, I see a lot of Perry figures, and I'm the one that has to clean the flash off them and get them out of those right. horrible cotton wool boxes. So, I'm, Okay. okay. Um, but, no, I have got Perry figures simply because um, that range is just too big yeah. not to use, you know. Um, but I've got, um, I guess, the, I've got quite a few um, Zenit Kensei ones. I've never really, heard of that. Zenit. Oh, can, oh, no, they're really nice figures. They're fantastic right. figures. Unfortunately, they're all, um, they're quite sort of slight of proportion. You know, they're not the chunky figures. Yeah. And they're also multi-part and they're really hard to put together. Oh, gosh, I've gone off them already. <laughs> Honestly, I mean... You know, no, they are fantastic figures, but yeah. it, it's a real consideration, unfortunately. Yeah. Or I'm not a big fan of gluing things together, gluing figures together. No, uh, there, there isn't much that's harder than doing Zenit figures. I'm, I'm just going honest. to put a line through that word. I, just <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can get the single, you know, single part ones, that's fine. Yeah. But, yeah don't get anyone with a spear would be my, uh, <laughs> okay. be my, my advice. Um. But they're really nice figures, you know, and they are yeah. with the extra time. So I got a load of those. Well, I got Perry. Um, oh, some of the Grey for Now stuff, stroke test of honorary type people. Right. Um, what? Who was but, the? Um, oh, was Dixon? Did you ever get any of the Dixon samurai? Um, not really. I've got I've got a Dick. I've got some bits and pieces. I've got a Dixon. Uh, the Dixon um, palanquin. Right. Uh, I've got two of those. I mean, they, they um, are a, a style all of their own. And they I are a style think... of their own. I mean, I don't mind them, actually. But yeah. I think if you are doing Dixon, then that's it. You know, you're not doing anything else. No, them. they're quite and, squat, uh, aren't they? And got the, yeah. got the distinctive look to them. Yeah. But I've, not, I've, not all I've... of them, actually. I mean, some of the more oh, right. recent ones aren't. You know, the, the palanquin beers are just, you know, are just sort of same as, I don't know, sort of front rank type proportions, right. you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I've got, yeah, that's all I've got of Dixon. I've got. Yeah, there's lots of other manufacturers. I, and I don't think I've asked you to name your six mil manufacturer of choice. I'm assuming Bacchus feature in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, when I started, there was only Bacchus. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a regular, but um, not a massive fan of it. Slacking off everybody's figures. That's all I've done, isn't it? Are <laughs> 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 any figures you do like? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah um, not well about, but but the other thing is they come in ready-made strips, and uh, yeah. I don't really like doing those. You know, yeah. I don't don't like painting ready-made strips really. Um, so Bacchus were the only people in town when I did it. Um, but since then, there's been two uh, D six. Yes, and you could have well. a block. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you you've had Robert Fellows on here, haven't you? Yes, he was on here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're don't really say anything nice about, bad about his figures. Oh no, 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 or he won't no, come no. Back on. <laughs> no, no, no. I wouldn't know. Well, quite no, quite the reverse. I mean, they're really nice figures. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's a much bigger range than Bacchus. Yeah. Um, the 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 problem is they're a lot smaller than Bacchus. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, to the point where they were mix. And right. I mean, I was already heavily committed to Bacchus, so. Uh, it's really unfortunate, really, that you know that you couldn't mix the two. Yeah. Um, if you were starting again, where would you go? Do you think? I, I, I would probably, I, I'd think, I'd certainly think long and hard about two D six. The only, the only issue with two D six would be that the because they're small, 
the sashimono and nabori might be too small for me to get ah, the designs okay. on that yeah. i wanted to do yeah um but purely objectively i think they are better figures you know mm. and and it's a bigger range and the yeah. other thing is if that range sells i think um robert's much more committed to expanding it as i don't see yes. Bacchus ever expanding the sengoku range anytime soon no no i mean they, they do so many ranges don't they Bacchus? Um, yeah, they, yeah. They've yeah, got to keep yeah. a finger in every single pie, whereas yes, yeah. And I don't, is, I, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't very much. I mean, I don't imagine they sell many um, six mil Sengoku. I mean, next time you talk to Peter Berry, maybe, maybe ask him what uh, what kind of percentage of his sales are. For yeah, the, the, the samurai makeup. I was speaking uh, to him would, on Monday, so uh, I'll, I'll yeah, ask no, you. I, I'd be quite interested actually if you, yeah. I mean, if, if you know, if he does know around it, because I imagine it's minuscule. But right, uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a it's it's one of those niche periods. I, I, in my experience over the years, all the years I've been wargaming, one of the things that I think puts people off more than anything, because I think most people love the look of uh, a samurai game. Mm. Um, and the idea of it, and that you know, if you watch Ran or um, Kajimusha uh, yeah. or Seven Samurai, you can't fail but to be inspired. To yeah, yeah, that yeah. This, this is something that's really worth looking into. Mm. Um, however, the thing that puts most people off, I think, is the idea of painting samurai. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but that's another good reason to do it in six mil, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, again, it's, it seems odd, you, you know, because if you're um if you're assuming that your people are all wearing that sort of later style of um the later style of sengoku armor where um, most of what you see is the lacquered armor and yes. there's only a little bit of lacing well in 15 mil most 15 mil figures you you're going to have the lacing on there so right. you're going to be painting the lacquered armor and then you're going to be painting the lacing yeah. and that's quite horrible really mm. but in 6 mil you can you can ignore the lacing and just paint the lacquered armor yeah. So your armor, you're just painting it black or red or brown, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, um, there was only those three colors, wasn't there? If I'm... Yeah, black. I mean, black's overwhelmingly the most popular black yeah. color, and then you have some red and occasionally some brown as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that's much easier in six mil. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you don't have all the little ties holding the armor on, and you know all the bits of lacing, etc., everywhere. Yes. Um, so no, I mean um, it's it's really really simple. Um, six mil samurai. So so we <clears throat> you started off this conversation by talking about painting twenty four. Uh, I think it was French mm. Napoleonics in forty five minutes. Yeah. Would that be a similar time then for what you put into a six mil uh, equivalent number of six mil samurai figures? I, the samurai much easier, I think. Right. Um, well, the actual painting, but I think it probably—I don't know—I haven't really, I haven't really timed them. I, I suspect it would be more like an hour, but it would be like sort of half an hour for the figures, and then half an hour for sticking, cutting, sticking, gluing the sashimono on, and right, and painting them in. Yeah, that—that's um, just that one more fiddly little step, isn't it, that goes on top of. It I is, think, yeah, and I mean, it is. Painting them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it is fiddly. Else. I mean, it is, it is very fiddly. You're, you're, you're basically using sort of five millimeter square bits of paper folding them yeah. in half and then gluing yeah. them on but once That's... you get the hang of it it's pretty easy you know <laughs> yeah. i mean you put I... a load off you know you, you you cut them all out and you just sort of like you know bend them between your fingers and if they don't you know if they don't sort of if the corners don't line up chuck it away do the next one you know yeah um, yeah it's it, minimal it's... cost 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, would would I mean, the same technique work in 15mm and 28mm, do you think? Uh, I, hmm, let's see. I, I, you, I think you could probably do it in 15mm. Yeah. Um, like that without too much trouble. 28 get a little bit more difficult um, because the cast sashimono is much more likely to have folds and stuff in it. Right, yes. Um, yeah. Not impossible, but I think you could certainly do it in 15mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure we dived into what what is the attraction oh, for you. I, sorry, I, I should, should just say on figure manufacturers, um, one of the uh, recent things I've done because um, I've also because with the, um, uh, the 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 small battle project um, that necessitates having a lot more figure variety. Yeah. And um, for those, I've been using 3D printed figures. Ah, okay. I'm glad you got into this because I've, yeah. I've seen you talking about 3D prints before. So and, uh, take us into yeah, that a bit. Yeah. Well, um, these are done by um, um, Aaron or Aaron or Aaron, yeah, Aaron, Aaron yeah. but Project Wargame. Yeah. Aaron, Project Aaron. Wargaming. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's designed the um, the files. Um, and I should say, I know absolutely nothing about 3D printing. Uh, <laughs> it's not something I'm ever going to get into. Um, well, I said I've got no plans to. Yeah. Um, but um, but these figures were really um, they they you know they, they looked really quite good and um, uh, eventually there was um, a, a guy on Twitter, you know, Paul Edwards, okay. uh, at Sabotaged, or, yes. you know, Sabotage Sabotage yes. 3D, yes. and um, <clears throat> you know he'd he'd got an agreement with with Aaron to uh, to print them, so um, so and Paul was fantastically helpful. Um, in this, you know, some, with somebody who knows absolutely nothing what they're doing, um, and he took the STL files and he was able to um, <clears throat> he was able to increase some of the dimensions so they were right. a bit chunkier and they fitted yeah. in with the Bacchus figures, um, and, and and these figures are absolutely fantastic. I've, I have some actually. Uh, oh, have you? Yeah. Aaron was on the show uh, before Christmas, I think, actually. Mm. Uh, and he, he very kindly sent me through some just to have a look at because yeah. he was just developing his samurai figures at that point. Oh, right, okay. Um, and, yeah, they're lovely. I mean, I, I've got oh. the original ones, obviously, which haven't been uh, yeah. booked out, but yeah. uh, they, they are very nice. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely fantastic. You know, just, um, yeah, no, absolutely amazing. And, I, I, you know, you say if I was starting now, I think I would be, I would probably just do the whole thing with those. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you you went with those because there's the uh, slightly more variety in sculpt which suits that smaller scale battle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I don't know if you want to get into the weeds of uh, of small. Well, yeah, of course we do. We uh, <laughs> people okay, who look, listen to this podcast um, love the weeds, right? <laughs> what I was saying earlier about how these um, how war games armies normally um, arrange these units, you know, so they're all um, weapons groups units. Yes. And these are your basic building blocks, and these are like a less than a hundred men. Um, the 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 problem is when those actually start to come in, when those units um, are actually developed. And there's a fair bit of controversy um, over this in Japan, um, and it's somewhere between 1550 and 1590. Um, there are people, there are you know, serious historians in Japan who will tell you that, uh, in fact, these um, units of uh, weapon types, these, you know, units where unit, a unit where everybody has the same weapon. Yeah. That these don't exist at all before the 1580s. 
uh, and if they're right, of course, that means you know all of your Takeda armies, for example, are um, are wrong. <laughs> right. But, um, okay. but um, the more sort of progressive view sees the, these units coming in round about um, fifteen fifty, and this gradually um, uh, spreads throughout the country. Uh, and, and nobody does the period before fifteen fifty anyway. Really, nobody war games that really. No. Um, so there's some parts of the country where, which develop quicker than others. Uh, but what it means is that you you really need to be able to represent the the units that exist before that, and that's where um, where somebody uh, somebody turns up with a with a load of his men with various arms, uh, variously armed men, um, and they will fight around him. Right. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I'll give you an example. So um, there's a guy, Miyagi Yasunari. Um, he's a Hojo retainer. He turns up for a battle with himself on his horse, seven mounted men, 17 guys with long spears, two guys with guns, one guy with bow and four associated infantry. Now, if you take that force before before the 1550s, uh, all those men would fight around him. So they wouldn't separate out into into units of separate weapons right. round about starting in the 1550s and gradually from there on what you start to see is he turns up with his men and then his um, lord takes away the infantry from him and recombines them into these little weapons groups right and those are the familiar war games um these are the familiar sort of war games units of yeah. you know ashigaru the ashigaru groups etc um but obviously you need some way of modeling this kind of unit that comes before then, you know, that first, the first instance where all his men fight around him. Um, so that really required to bring about a war game. Um, that required to have a un units with all of these people mixed up. So it's kind of like the, the Sonaya unit, the big units for the big yeah. battle thing in a, in microcosm. Um, and it was really hard to do that with Bacchus figures because, you know, they only have one pose of figure. Right. Um, and they all have Sashimono as well. And you don't, you know, without getting it Sashimono and stuff, the, you probably don't want that. You don't want them all with Sashimono either. You certainly don't want them all the same pose. Yeah. So um, what the 3D printed figures enabled was to have some kind of better visual representation of these units. I was actually trying it with Bacchus. I was using some of the early figures from the, the early samurai range. Oh, yes. They do you the know, early as well, don't they? They do, yeah. But, I mean, again, those that wasn't terribly satisfactory. And it's a much better effect with uh, with Aaron's um, figures. So. Yeah. So that, again, was a real, um, you know, real sort of godsend, I suppose, and, you know, enabler of that project. Um, and that's... I'm kind of still struggling with how to sort of model them on the tabletop, and that's sort of where the the, the small battle game is is currently at. <clears throat> right. I, I don't think I've seen any, or certainly much on Twitter that you've posted because you you do post updates quite frequently of various yeah, I, projects. Yeah, I, I said you have. I have posted uh, the, right. the 3D printed ones in, yeah. in the little units, and um, uh, and the small battle one as well is a. Uh, I have I have done games with that right um and what rules have you been using for those 
those I've been uh, I've been using again a version of uh, currently anyway a version of to the strongest. Right. Um, I again I'm just because I like the game really. Um, but at, at that level of game, it's much easier. You know, you have much more choice of rules really because that's what all war games rules model that kind of warfare. Yeah. You know, where you have those distinct units. Um, they don't have these, you know, feudal retainer band things generally in army lists where they probably should have but you know right okay um okay then uh, let's just mm. go back to that question i was i was going to ask mm. I, i'm not sure yeah, we dug into what attracted you to this era because you've clearly got quite a depth oh. of knowledge about it oh god yeah um I don't. Yeah, I don't know really. It wasn't the water margin, was it? And that was China, um, wasn't the water? It was. It was. Yeah, it was a Japanese production of of China. Yeah. Um, the guy who plays Pigsy in that is quite a well-known Japanese actor. He appears in a lot of um, serious Japanese dramas, uh, oh, really? tiger, yeah, tiger dramas. Yeah, he's been okay. Tokugawa Ieyasu. He's been Tokugawa Hidetada. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, These names trip off your tongue far easier than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I'm getting there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think actually, you know, I think the first figures I bought from that shop um, that I mentioned earlier was um, were 15 mil Mike's model Samurai. Right. Okay. And the first games I did with those was a, a little yellow booklet of Samurai skirmish rules. Um, so you've you've long had an interest then. I kind of yeah. I mean, I've always been a bit of a Japanophile as well. I think yeah. so. Um, you know, um, but I think I really got into it. You know, there's the Holy Trinity of. Um, uh, James Clavell, Akira Kurosawa, and Stephen Turnbull. Uh, yeah, basically, <laughs> that that that's how you get into I've, it. You I've know. never heard that phrase before. Oh no! I, well, no, because that's, that's because I've invented it. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. maybe you should spread it around. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of people read Shogun and got it, or yeah. watched the miniseries and got into it from that, and uh, you know, you watch a Kurosawa film. So, uh, like Ran, you know, Ran's one of my favourite films. Um, yeah. Uh, and that that visual display and ran with all of the sashimono and banners is something that I really sort of took on for the uh, for the Sengoku for the big battle Sengoku project. Yeah, you know, it's almost certainly no, everybody wasn't wearing sashimono, but the visual effect is just too good to. to oh, it's that. just incredible, isn't it? Especially yeah, the, uh, yeah. the cavalry um, yeah, charging yeah. charging around. That's just beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you know, I think between those really. Um, between those things that was uh, that was you're pretty much sold on it yeah and you know i mean we did we did a project at the club in about 2000 i think uh in 15 mil or rather they did it um i i was painting one of the armies and um that really meant i couldn't face doing my own as well so <laughs> uh, i painted a lot of uh, a lot of samurai well, they've been two uh, dragon back then, I, I guess. I, th- like. I think they were. Um, one guy was using two dragons, and the others were using Lancashire. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I did, did those back then, and I mean, the most recent catalyst, funny enough, was some of those figures were still in the club, and um, uh, a friend of mine down here had just got Battles in the Age of War, and uh, we thought we'd have a go at it with these uh the, the figures that were in the club and uh we played that and uh, that's when i started doing it in 15 right you know so uh, i kind of went from there really but so with your big battle gaming you've, you've talked about this um creating this narrative uh that might flow from the big battle game to the the smaller battle game um 
in general, do you look at recreating historical battles or are you more um, interested in that sort of narrative where you might use real personalities? I mean, but... yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'm usually in favor of, of sort of campaigns. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I, I do want to, I do, I certainly want to have a look at some, doing some of the, um, some historical battles. Uh, it's pretty difficult to get the information, unfortunately, but, uh, yeah. um, you know, uh, but I certainly want to do that. And I mean, there's an absolute ton of ready-made campaigns in the Sengoku Jidai. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, you know, regional campaigns and, uh, provincial ones, um, just absolutely tons of them. Uh, but really it's a question of, you know, um, getting a handle on the on the trying to model the warfare first, and uh, yes, you know, it. I mean, it it's it, it it's a bit of an immense um, research thing, really. But but if I asked you to name five samurai battles, what would your answer be? Kawa Nakajima. <laughs> well, I, I didn't prompt you for that, did I? I, I, I love that, that that meme. That was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Well done. That was, yeah. that was that was seamless. Well yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, it's formed a big part of your gaming, by the sounds of it. Then the mm. uh, Sengoku is it Jedi. Jedi? Jedi, yeah. Jedi, yeah. Not Sengoku Jedi. Jedi. It's basically yeah, Jedi is something it's, different, aren't they? Though related, apparently, that's apparently uh, uh, Jedi oh. derives from Jedi Geki. That's the source of the. Uh, yeah, the that's interesting. I didn't know that. Apparently, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, Jedi, Jedi Geki is is a genre of um, you know it means um, period drama basically, so right, genre okay. of historical drama. Oh, interesting. Which George Lucas was really into, apparently. So. Okay. <laughs> so it said Jedi it, derives from the, this. This podcast is nothing if not educational. There we are. Yeah. There we yeah. Are. yeah. Um, but it's not your only era, is it? Um, I, not again, quite. <laughs> a bit, not quite. It forms yeah. a big part by the looks of it, but certainly from um, your Twitter feed, there's there's quite a few other bits and pieces. Mm. Um, one being the Wars of the Roses. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's about. my that's my my, my main non Japanese period, I suppose. Yeah. So, what's how how do you go about gaming that then? Because again, that's a obviously sources are in English, so that helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Badly spelled English, but it is. Yeah, right. Yeah, English, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit easier to get to grips with. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yes. Yeah. So, so what what form does that take within your, uh, your gaming panoply? Well, um, this was a this was another thing that um, was was a conversion basically from from a different scale. So I was doing it in twenty eight mil, um, but again, that's quite a quite an undertaking. Yeah. Um, you know, I had like a target of five hundred figures or something like that, and uh, wow, well, whatever. I eventually i thought well, i just want to play the games you know and it's going to be years before i do so at this rate <laughs> yeah, so yeah. i'm just going to do it in six mil so um yeah so i sort of changed over to six mil um and then um a couple of months later i was doing it again i was intending to play um a coat of steel which is the perfect captain game yes they're free online or they were free online weren't they yeah. i don't know if they're still available to be honest you can track them down yeah you yeah. still you can still find them i think yeah. um Rob Jones, the Rob Jones is. I think he hosts them on his site. He's a right. medieval okay. historian. Um, yeah. 
and he's also done a variant set of rules for it as well actually um but then um peter pig's bloody barons 2 came out and uh and i i really like those rules yeah so i've kind of just converted straight over to those now right um you know so so what attracted you to, to them in particular well um I think mainly it's, it's that kind of zoomed out approach, you know, um, because you don't very often you don't get that in ancient medieval rules. You know, it's like when I talked about the um, with the with the big battles, um, uh, Sengoku game, you know, it's much easier sometimes to sort of take a step or take go up a commands level. Yeah. And look at the battle from there rather than getting down amongst the minute. Yes. And I think what that Peter Pig set does, uh, you know, just cuts through all that stuff about working out exact ratios between bows and melee troops etc and uh, you just get down to um, you know pretty straightforward battles really where you have these exchanges of archery and then you essentially have to sort of time when you think you can succeed in a in a in a in an assault yes Um, and I mean it's not everyone's cup of tea really I think a lot of people like a bit more more sort of ebb and flow perhaps in their ancient and medieval games but I, I really like those kind of um, games where you're not making lots of decisions, but you're making a very small number of crucial ones. Of important ones. I think the interesting thing is with um, I was involved in the in the playtesting of, oh, uh, right, yeah. of that rule set. Um, I was a b- very big fan of the original Bloody Barons, which yeah, was certainly a more traditional. So, yeah, that's basically the same as Battle of the Age of War, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, mm. it's the same skeleton certainly, um, but. If you read any account of a, uh, any battle from the, the Wars of the Roses, um, there wasn't a lot of ebb and flow. It was basically two lines would hit each other, or a, yeah. one line would hit another line at the point of advantage, that, as you describe, when you're going to choose to make that crucial moment to yeah. uh, send the men in. And other than stepping back to clear the bodies away, they would just <laughs> then pound back in, wouldn't they, and just hit hit each other with these horrendous close combat weapons and 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 just yeah. smash each other over the head with them it's just incredible isn't yeah. it yeah yeah and i, I you know and it, again you know there's so much about the battles we don't know and there's so much about the um the the you know the minute of warfare that we don't know about that period and uh, yeah. uh, again you know in instances like that if you just sort of step back away from those kind of um very low level um considerations it, it's sometimes easier to get a handle on the battle and yeah yeah and, and personally I, when I say I was involved with the playtest, I wasn't um, intimately in, involved with it, and didn't, right. you know, none of my decisions were uh, ever found the way into into the book. But I, I saw the development of them, let's say, right. uh, from the very first version up to up to the published version. Um, and you're you're right; you've got that army commander view of the table, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. In that you, you're not worrying about. You know, a decision that one of the captains might make on the left flank. No, exactly. Um, you're assuming that he's just going to be doing his job yeah. because you're too yeah. busy about looking at, at what the other flank's doing or what's going on in the centres. And the, yeah. the way they handle cavalry is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that that was interesting. I gave that a go. I mean, um, I gave that a go with... Um, it's Blore Heath, isn't it? Yes, yeah, the alleged, that's the important yeah. one. That's yeah. the one I can see from my bedroom window. Oh, is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I... I, I gotta say i'm i'm probably on the side of the 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 of being rather skeptical whether there was ever a cavalry charge at blue heath but yes. yeah but i did do that and it was quite interesting how it worked 
Um, unfortunately, the, the game I did it was a rather fluky. It was a, a, a rather fluky dice rolling um, thing. So, um, right, <laughs> the, the cavalry was overly successful. But um, yeah. yeah, no, it's very. It was an interesting way of doing it, really, and, well, um, uh, and quite good, you know. Um, yeah. In like. Uh, you know, you this in that uh, this is the account of uh, the Battle of Barnet, where both sides send in mounted reserves, and um, I think it's pretty good for that. You yeah. know, um, there's a couple as well where mounted troops are hidden in woods and um, you know come out at some point of the battle. Um, I, yeah, I no, it was it, very clever, very very innovative. Yeah, I think the only one that I think you would question the mechanic on is Bosworth, um, whether or not Richard was mounted. Uh, oh yeah, was in his I, don't, I, 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 I don't go as far as Bosworth. <laughs> but the, the scenario is in the rule, but I think it's quite yeah, useful yeah, yeah. The vast yeah, majority yeah, of the yeah, I, in I fact, mean, all I, of the major battles are there. I think. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm sort of a bit heretical, really, and you know, for me, for me, the Wars of the Roses ends in 1471. Oh right, um, okay. Is that when Edward takes the throne? <laughs> that, that's when uh, Henry VI dies. You know. Okay. So that's yes. the end of the Lancastrian claim, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's still the Yorkshireman in you somewhere, isn't there? Well, yeah, well, yeah, I suppose, though, uh, you know, most of Yorkshire was Lancastrian. <laughs> no, no, that's true. Yes, I'm, I'm being quite flippant there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't geographically aligned. For those that, that aren't yeah, aware, no. it wasn't geographically aligned, was it? No, no, so, no, no, that's only more the to do with the hereditary yeah. lines and claims to the throne, wasn't it? But, yeah. uh, so I know, I know that um, if, you, if you speak to um, Ken at uh, Yorkshire Gamer, uh, he, he's quite vehement about his love for the white rose and <laughs> the other place over the hill. He describes it, but when yeah, when, exactly. I, when I said uh, the other side of the Pennines to me is the North Sea, I don't think that was. No. But yeah, so those rules that yeah, interesting. Just for those who who aren't aware of the uh, Bloody Barons rule set, the cavalry are treated in quite a unique way i think in in a sense mm-hmm. essence they're off the table for the majority of the game yeah and they're an asset that you can launch at the enemy yeah um but you need to make a, a certain dice roll for them to appear so they aren't guaranteed to, uh, to appear in the game if you if you've got them there they, they might not actually feature yeah. Um, but if if they do appear, then basically you just power them in to the enemy yeah, exactly. line and then resolve yeah. the combat. So there's no sort of milling around or thinking, you know, I could do with the the uh, cavalry over on my right flank and they're on my left, so I'll drop them around the back. Of the yeah, line. yeah. It's uh, it's quite a unique way, I think, of it uh, is, handling yeah, cavalry, it is. isn't it? Um, yeah, it is. I, I, yeah, I mean, I really like. Them. I, I mean, I like most Peter Pig rules, and you know, even the ones I don't play, there's lots of good ideas in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, are the, think, what other ones have you played just out of interest? Oh, let's see. Battles in Age of War, AK-47 Republic. Yeah. What a great Love game AK. that was. Yeah. yeah. Um, PBI. Yeah. Um, what are the other ones? Oh, the Vietnam ones? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The grid-based ones or the originals? The the grid-based ones, yeah. 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 And originally played that. We relocated to Afghanistan and played it. It was the... That yes, the men of Company B, isn't it? it? Was the it was the Muj of Saraya Bay or Bay? Or oh right, okay, yeah, so, um, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, but no, really, really good ideas. I think. Yes, yeah. One one of the most um, underrated rules writers out there, I think. My God, I think. He's, yeah, does some, does some really good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit biased because Martin's <laughs> a very good friend of mine. Oh right, um, okay. 
Yeah. Um, although I live about 400 miles away from him. Right. Uh, I do travel down to Weymouth uh, a few times a year. I was down a couple of weeks ago. Right. Um, they're developing a, a set for the Mexican Revolution at the moment, uh, which is going down very well. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a period that I, I knew absolutely nothing nothing about. I'd heard of Villa and Zapata. But that was about it. They were these sort of rebel bandits. But that was about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So that's, 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 that's Pancho Villa, not Aston Villa. Yes, the, <laughs> yeah. Just for those in the in the <laughs> in the uh, West Midlands who might yeah. think I'm talking about a football team. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's it's a uh, era that I, I knew absolutely nothing about. But in fact, there's ten years of constant war uh, oh, right. with ve- lots of intrigue, uh, political intrigue, and backstabbing, and generally all. all, all well, essentially, all of the major characters in the war die um, at one at one time or another, and uh, the the tactics that were in use and the involvement of the US, and mm. it's it's really a fascinating era. And uh, Martin's developing a really interesting set of rules and the figure range that he's releasing. I, I appreciate you not a big fan of the Peter Pig figures, but <laughs> I, I'm a massive fan. How <laughs> can about thousand of them here? But it's uh, one man's steak is another man's McDonald's. Yeah, I, actually, but. I did I did uh, paint some of the samurai um, a while back, and they were actually quite good. I, I, yeah. I did like them. So yeah, um, yeah maybe. It's, you know, some ranges are. Uh, yeah, I, it, I, it, I might it, like more than others. Then, yeah, say. no. Uh, listen, it's no criticism, absolutely. It's, no, everybody's I, got I, their I, own taste. Yeah, it's, it's all personal preference, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've, I must have about ten thousand of them <laughs> surrounding me oh. at the moment uh, that I've been collecting over the last twenty-five, thirty years, I suppose, from sure. when when he first started making figures, actually. Yeah, uh, right. But it is, this is an this is completely off topic. And we've wandered way off piece. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, a little interesting story. He was telling me that when he first started to sculpt figures, um, he would sculpt, uh, u- they would be unique figures. So he wouldn't cast them. He would sculpt oh, right, the yeah. figure individually out of Milliput. Yeah. Uh, and he would sculpt um, Dark Age ranges, Russ, uh, sort of quite odd Dark Age ranges like the Russ and whoever yeah. the Russ bought the sort of eastern european vikings um and and julie his wife would paint the army and then he'd sell it and that, that's how peter pig got started which i thought was incredible wow. uh that these God. were one-off unique armies that he Good would Lord. just sculpt uh in, individually before he got in, into the casting but uh anyway that, that's a story for oh. another day let's get back to yeah. gareth and his, <laughs> his yeah, war sure, game yeah. uh one another thing that really interested me was uh again i picked up off twitter you've already talked about rommel um and mm. doing these big bases in six mil but you've done slightly smaller i think haven't you oh yeah yeah i had a weird excursion into doing three mil yeah yeah uh, yeah <laughs> but like, i just wanted just in, wanted to try it you know and they're um, incredible bases yeah you'd uh, correct I, me if i'm I, wrong had you based them on photographs or something there was something... oh yeah 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 no they, yeah. yeah so osprey art and stuff yeah yes. so recreating bits of osprey art because yeah. yeah they were on like 50 mil by 30 mil bases yeah um and in one three um and in three mil, you know, what's that one six hundredth or something? Something like that. And that's that, a yeah. huge amount of space, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it was just a weird thing, really. I just wanted to try it. But um, what people, what I'd seen people doing with three mil was that they go out of their way to make the figures and the vehicles stand out. Yeah. You know, so you can actually see them. And my kind of starting point was, well, what if you went the other way mm. and didn't make them stand out at all, and you 
you basically had a, a base that was terrain and you had yes. to struggle to see the figures in them. Yeah. Uh, and that was pretty ideal for sort of three mil World War Two jungle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, yeah. They, they were incredible, though. And you've, you've already touched on this a little bit earlier on, but we'll just talk about it a bit now is that I think the smaller the scale, the more important the base is and the scenery become. Um, yeah, I mean, I think so. But but it's also it's also the case that it's almost unavoidable because the size of your bases, um, yeah. you know, how much ground that is in real terms. Yes. You know, yes. you can't have an 18 meter by 12 meter square and just have that being mud and grass. No. You know, consistently across an army, you start to think that's a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, why not do that? And and why not, you know, try and integrate your bases a bit into the, um, you know, into the terrain and yeah. et cetera. And yeah. But, it, yeah, it was interesting to do um, because, that. But. Yeah, because that brings me on, on to the topic where hopefully you won't be convincing me to buy a static grass applicator. Yeah, that's right. Yes, I, I am. Yeah, I, I'm an unpaid rep for every static grass applicator going. Because, um, and I, I'm, and I want to sort of talk about the photography here as well, and the the sort of almost set design that you create with your tables. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's stretching the point at all, mm-hmm. um, because how you lay out those photographs and those tables, um, with those scenic bases that you make. So you you do some beautiful fields. Uh, field uh, bases don't you essentially uh, in the three the, mil yeah in the, yeah right and well i'm thinking about the sengoku stuff oh the sengoku well. oh yeah the sengoku yeah god dear, there's, there's about 30 of those yeah. yeah 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 well i mean um and yeah how, how it all fits together with the villages that you do yeah um, i mean they're all on the, 10 centimeter bases so yeah with um, civilians in the fields or, or wandering <laughs> down right, the streets yeah. have you got two people playing go or something as well or yeah there's a couple of people playing go under a little tree there's there's two people by a fish pond what uh, looking at some very anachronistic um golden carp, carp. <laughs> um, and this is in six mil folks yeah, people putting out washing and you know little gardens and stuff like that. Yeah. So this is what I mean about set dressing. This is mm. the it's these little bits, and I, I don't know if you're a frequent visitor to war game shows, uh, Gareth. Not really, because um, I live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it, from uh, the yeah. back of beyond? Yeah. Um, other than Penarth. Uh, yeah, Penarth's about the only one we go to. Yeah. Yeah, um, but generally, when people put on these magnificent displays of uh, of battles, and they can be. 24 foot long and 10,000 mm. beautifully painted figures. But what mm. will draw the attention is some guy hanging his washing out in, yes. in the back corner of the table and people will be looking exactly. at it and think, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, what about these 10,000 beautifully accurately painted <laughs> samurai? No, but I'm interested in this guy who's hanging his washing out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, I think in six mil, you could do One of the things I, did, I sort of um, uh, found in three mil was, that, you know, that was the real thing I missed was because uh, I did a, a three mill village, you know, Burmese village with yeah. houses on stilts and stuff. And the thing I missed was that you couldn't really put civilians around the place in three mill. No. You know, you couldn't get that kind of detail in um, that you could in six mill. And, and no. that I really did miss that. Um, was in six mill, you have so much space to put to fit all these little vignettes on um, on the battlefield. You know, it's, so why it's, not put them there, really? It's a concept I don't think I've come across before, but it's so obvious as you've been describing it to me mm. that um, in, in six mil these bases repre- represent so much more um, landscape yeah. than 
in is true in the large scales and therefore um it's it, to be and i'm i'm using rabbit ears here of realistic mm. uh you need to be incorporating much more varied pieces of ground and scenery and bushes and trees and villages and carts and all, all the all the paraphernalia that goes into making yeah, these yeah. And there's so much of it about now as well. You know, a perfect six, you know, they do, do a huge range of really good sort of paraphernalia to, yes, they do, you yeah. know, to sort of dress your battlefield as well and your bases as well. You know? mm. um, who, who are the um, civilians from? Because they they really oh, intrigue me. Um, the the first lot were um, GHQ of Vietnam. Right. Um, and these are really quite good. Cause they, this is going to sound weird, but uh, they're, um, they're quite sort of slight of build, but um the with the metals very pliable you can actually bend their um you could bend their arms and stuff okay you know so uh or indeed their bodies so yeah. you know i've got like people you know bent slightly over bowing and you know people pointing at things and stuff yeah. so uh but the 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 next lot then were um <laughs> the ghq civilians are quite expensive obviously yes um but so the next lot were um were plastic uh railway civilian types you know, oh, okay. like big yeah. buy from china uh i think they're either one three hundredth or one two hundredth with the feet yeah. cut off you know yeah one two hundredth sort of cut down in some way yeah um so those that and again i'm going to point anybody listening to your Twitter feed and, and to scroll through it to to look up these pictures um <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> it's well worth it for me because um, it, it really is a visual treat. Um, it, when you're setting up these, I, I take it these are set dressings and you're taking the photographs rather than it's an actual war game in progress when you're laying out all these bits or, or is it? Oh, it depends. Is it, oh, it's usually a game. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. uh, the thing is with all those fields, um, this is something that we got into with it when we did Napoleonic, but all of those fields, you know, you um, you can basically stick them all over the table and just move them out of the way when people when figures move through. You know, yes. it's a grid based game after all, so yeah, you know, figures just move through, move the fields out of the way. Mm. Um, so you know, they're they're really just to add interest to the game, yeah. and they can you know delineate an area of cultivated land, right? Um, but you know, you know what that area is, you can delineate it and it doesn't matter yeah. if you move the fields around inside it sort of thing yeah yeah you know so, yeah. and i guess the same with the villages as well because the village pieces that you've got are, are just incredible yeah. and the yeah. fact that you've got a small vignette of two guys sat around a table playing <laughs> go is just yeah but again see, i mean arguably that's easier in six mil you know if you're doing that in 28 mil you'd have to like glue on the actual pieces sort of thing, almost <laughs> yeah, you know you i mean you'd, you'd or you'd have to have a plausible board position in 28 mil you know, you'd have to go <laughs> yeah. and look up some sort of you know classic go match from the 1940s or something yeah yeah um, somebody somebody would pick you up on it wouldn't they yeah if even did. if 15 mil you know you'd have to, you'd it, it's quite easy in, in six mil in six mil you just put a little square down and pop a load of dots black and white dots around yeah you know but how it's incredibly effective. Yeah, because I mean, six mil is an impressionistic scale, so you know yeah. you can build pretty much anything in six mil. I think with card mm. and plastic bristles. Uh, and the other feature of these pieces that you do is is the water features, because they look like I could just strip down to my shorts and jump in. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's this almost always clear acetate. Yeah. Yeah. And how have you got that blue effect? Have you painted the acetate or is it painting the, the board? I used, underneath yeah, just paint the board underneath and then put clear acetate over the top. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a technique I've recently found, actually. Um, and for uh, the American Civil War is my big six yeah, yeah, period. Yeah. Um, and I, I was wondering how to recreate Bull Run. And you can buy ready-made rivers in six mil but they always seem a little bit too bulky and a little bit too intrusive on the yeah. table for me with the sort of uh, built-up banks and and uh, just the the sort of um uh the the their bulk really uh so acetate yeah i bought some clear acetate painted it green a sloppy green and brown on the back and then just cut out wiggly shapes and oh right yeah. in, in about 10 minutes i'd, I'd built bull run which yeah, right. was perfect. So, uh, yeah. yeah, but no, they, they they look spectacular, really spectacular. In fact, there's a, um, I think on one of your tweets, you go through the the various stages of building. Um, I don't know if it's a little village piece or a farm. Oh yeah, piece. yeah, yeah, it's village, yeah. That's right. Yes, yeah, so that's the village piece. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you you lay this acetate down, and then once you put the groundwork, the sand or mm. whatever it is that you use around it it just looks incredible yeah it's, uh, clear acetate's really good it you know, catches the light really yes. well you know and uh, you don't have the problem with um flock sticking to it like you do with some varnishes and, and yeah varnish, varnishes and resins i think yeah uh, exactly really suffer when you start adding flock yes uh, anywhere near them so mm. okay we're talking about flock here we go or static grass <laughs> so another real uh unique feature i think of your bases and this counts for your six mil stuff as well as your three mil stuff is how you get the flock because you clearly clearly do not just put a blob of pva down and throw your static grass on it do you no i mean i i use i use enough static grass applicator for pretty much everything now you know um i just really like the look of it um when i did the first those first six mil um uh, French I did I sort of based those and just chucked the static grass on um, and when I did the close-ups you know it just looked really messy yeah I obviously have strands laying sideways and it just looked like somebody had dumped a load of lawn cuttings on them sort of <laughs> um, so yeah so I started using um, an applicator then you know and you get the grass to stand up I mean you can always push it down if you want you know disturbed grass afterwards but it yeah. still looks better I think than having it you know just 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 chucked on sort of thing so uh, just talk me through this process then, because I'm aware of what a static grass applicator is mm. and I've seen the result. But how right. do you get from point A to um, point B? Well, I mean, in six mil, you usually want one that shoots the fibers upwards. So you yeah. want one that has like a tray um, and you're going to want you really want a nine volt one. You know, right. you can get these for like about 40 quid or so. Okay. Um, uh, WSS do one or there's one called a flock box, which you might be able to get. Yeah. Um, and then you you need to use a you're probably better off using like a tacky glue. So um, I use a flock cement by Green Scene, but you right. could use something like Eileen's tacky glue. Um, and then um, yeah, you apply your tacky glue to the base, um, hold it upside down over the tray of flock, and switch the machine on, and uh, the flock flies upwards. And um, hopefully you've uh, you've got a load of upstanding grass. Oh, right. So the flock doesn't go down onto the base. I mean, I, I usually shoot it upwards because it's, you know, you don't get quite so many um, 
fibers landing sort of sideways or you know right side that way but. okay so uh you hold the base upside down over the tray with the grass on it yeah and the, the grass sort of is statically fires upwards onto the base that's interesting. yeah you've usually got like a clip so you put the clip on the base and there's yeah. a, um, again i don't know how it works at all i know nothing about static grass either. have you there's ever no electrocuted yourself uh, well no because mine's battery operated so. all right <laughs> <laughs> this it worries me you see i mean the, I, mean, I, I, I mean it's only gonna be a nine volt shock right right okay you know, well. <laughs> so, I, I mean, if it's plugged in the main it's going through a transformer isn't it so as far as i am aware you can only shock yourself for nine volts i'm i'm a bit of a wimp i have to say yeah. but uh, around this... no i have i have actually i did actually shock myself once yeah right so it's possible it is possible yeah but okay. it's not uh it uh but it is more of a shock than than anything painful right. you know it's more like what was that rather than yeah because when, when I talk about technology, I, I, the last couple of episodes, I've been speaking to people who are producing 3D STL files okay. uh, for printing. And uh, I've I've come away from both interviews, and in fact, the chat with Aaron as well, thinking mm. a 3D printer is very near in my future. But then I remember that I've got two, I've got a handful of thumbs and not many fingers, and I'm just useless at technology. And everybody yeah, no, that I, I talk to says, don't be silly. I can learn it. If I can learn it, anybody can learn it. But I am pretty useless uh, with this, uh, with anything te any, anything technical or, um, well, put, you know, putting up shelves is a challenge for me. So, uh, <laughs> you know, 3D printing or, or using uh, some sort of voodoo, black magic flop box thing is, is sounds way yeah, out of my league but. oh i mean google yeah just google stuff Google's your friend. My, yeah I, I know nothing about well i know absolutely zero about um photography 3d printing or static electricity to be honest <laughs> well <laughs> you know, it's, it's just just google stuff and uh and do what they say there really. yeah out of anything i think that I've, I've listened to over the last few episodes i think the idea of a Static grass applicator certainly appeals because of the just the visual impact on the base is yeah, so much I mean, better than you, yeah, just squashing down yeah, this. I mean, grass. There's lots you can do. You can make your own tufts as well and stuff. You know, you right. can put down static grass and give a little brush of glue and chuck some sort of scatter on for flowers. Yeah. All that kind of stuff, really. Yeah, just have more control over your your tufts, basically. Uh, <laughs> there's a lesson for you, folks. And, and who doesn't want more control over their tufts? Exactly, exactly. That's the motto of this show. Um, <laughs> So finally, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is the photography, um, right? Because you don't just take a photograph of your table uh, with your bookshelf in the background, or the TV, <laughs> or the dog bouncing around in the mm. background. Um, you you go that extra mile. Now, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the photographs that the Perry twins do of their battles. And oh their yeah, games. yeah, yeah. Um, now yours reminds me very much of what they do. So they sort of, they always have this sort of sky background or rolling hill background, or yeah. uh, they'll they'll sort of mould the or sorry, um, make the bases of the figures disappear into the That's scenery. That's right. Yes. yes. Um, but your figure, your your pictures for me take it to the next level because I've, I feel like I'm looking at a photograph of an area of Japan, and there seems to be. Well, sometimes you Sengoku, are, of course. <laughs> Seng, but sometimes seems, that is the background. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be Sengoku Jedi armies marching across this photograph. Yeah, uh, it it really you really capture something special with those yeah, photographs. 
Um, so, so talk me through your process. Oh God, I, can, I don't know. Like I said, I don't, I don't know. know I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 really, I don't know anything about photography. I, I think no. you just uh, basically you just Google whatever settings you need for your camera to take photos of your figures. Yeah. Um, I suppose I probably take photos at a lower angle, maybe than, than a lot right. of people do. Yeah. Uh, but really, I mean, you know, I, I, I would, I would not post any photo on the internet that hasn't first been run through Photoscape for a bit of right. sort of, you know, post production. You yeah. know, so just cropping, just hitting auto buttons in Photoscape, really, and you right. know, moving the sliders around until it looks like, like um, what you want it to do. And then all of the the other stuff is done in Paint.net. Right. So you know, that's really just a question of you know removing the background and adding a, an extra layer for the uh for whatever background you want to put on the thing and um you know just merge the two images together sort of thing and these are genuine uh, japanese scenic photographs aren't they that you ah oh, some of them are i mean yeah i mean i you know like if i'm taking photos in villages always you, you it's inevitable you're going to put fuji in the background you know so. yeah um, and but, mountains uh, generally yeah but no yeah. otherwise it's just random skies and stuff like that really yeah but the, the effect is incredible. Just just so you know I, I, that your yeah, effort like to, is worth it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I you know, I certainly like the way they they come out. Um, yeah, backgrounds really are they, they very underrated. I think you know they do really do set off um, set things off very well. I think. Um, and, and I think I, especially in your photographs, actually, Gareth, because and this is possibly uh, another advantage of the six mil scale that when you take those low down photographs yeah sort of scanning almost at eye level across mm. the tabletop um and you get this perspective uh, almost like the force perspective thing where yeah um the 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 figures genuinely look like they are armies marching across a um uh, a field and it, mm. you've got this live almost live background in the distance it really it really brings the whole thing together the from the painting the figures the 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 techniques that you've used to make the fields and the villages to the flock that you use yeah the whole I mean, thing i think just works doesn't it and uh, i say it's relatively easily done you know if i can work out how to use you know paint program and anybody can yeah, yeah. um but I, th I think it's having that vision, though, to use those things, isn't it? I think it was Tracy Emin who, who uh, I forget, was it the Turner Award or one of the large art awards, anyway, the unmade bed. You know, anybody can unmake uh, un yeah, yeah, their bed yeah. and say yeah, this is yeah. art. Um, but it's having the vision, isn't it, to, to actually produce. I'm not saying your table looks yeah, like an unmade yeah, bed. Yeah, There's no analogy there. I think, I think that was less about the vision and more about the sheer chutzpah. <laughs> there you uh, go, yeah, chutzpah. That's a word yeah. I've not had on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's it's having that vision. Okay, the techniques uh, individually, you might say, are, are, are relatively simple and anyone can do. But how, pulling it all together and, and actually producing it. I think it's the trick. Yeah, no, you've got to have a certain eye, I think, for it. Um, well, I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, like I it's say, it's difficult for the artist. I understand to appreciate <laughs> yeah, the work that they've done. Like I, I say, appreciate I that. I don't really know. I don't really know much about the technicalities of all of it. Really, it's just you know stuff. But <laughs> just, but as a consumer of of the work that you put out, where I look at these things and think, my God, that is wonderful. Yeah. Um, 
I, I just want you to know that it works. Oh, well, thank you very much. There you go. Yeah. Let's, let's leave it at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Gareth, it's been absolutely a blast to speak to you. We've Good. waffled on for two hours. On, yes. Two hours. That's that's mm-hmm. gone in the in the blink of an eye. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure we could probably go on for another couple of hours yet, talking about one or two other things. Oh, I could. Yeah, I could do two hours on the same go. Could you do actually? But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I may get you Just on. And in started. fact, yeah. Yeah. In, in fact, I'm really hoping uh, <laughs> this episode is enjoyed by uh, Steve from Little Wars TV. He's, he's a massive uh, samurai. Nerd. Oh, okay. I think he would describe himself mm-hmm. as, um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll uh, have enjoyed your views on on the era and how to how to game it. Um, so, for any any guest that comes onto the show, I always make two requests. I say requests; um, they're really tantamount to demands <laughs> uh, because uh, I've not had anybody refuse uh, the request. So, yeah, I'm wondering yeah. if there's a sen- uh, a modicum of bullying to to get people to comply <laughs> with these these requests again in mm. in rabbities. Um, so the first is is pretty easy in that you uh, uh, agree to come back onto the show at some point in the future. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Back and despite I, public demand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm quite sure that'll be to the contrary. I think um, uh, another chat around um, the Sengoku Jedi. Uh, and these various other words that you've been throwing at me um, <laughs> that I've desperately been trying to write down to remember. <laughs> uh, yes, I, th- I think another chat on it will, will would be um, uh, well in order. Uh, the second thing is I have uh, something called the God's Own Scale Virtual Library, which yeah. is uh, a place for guests to deposit one, two, three, however many books they care to, uh, which are basically recommendations to the listeners. So, uh, have you got something for the shelves of the God's Own Scale Virtual Library, Gareth? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I thought I suppose it should be something Sengoku related. So, um, I'm hoping I'm gonna, so. I'm gonna go for something like this. Will be right up your street, actually. Okay. Because um, it's a it's a two volume set which has a really good overview of the Sengoku Jidai for the Wargamer. Right. And the only drawback is it's in German. <laughs> I, I, I speak a, a, a small bit of German, but not very much. <laughs> exactly. Um, so has it got it, pictures? It has got. It's richly illustrated throughout, and right. a lot of the and, and there's a lot of diagrams. So it's even if you've got. I mean, my German's not very good at all, uh, but um, but it was certainly worth getting. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's called "Die uh, Samurai der Sengoku Zeit" by Till Weber. I'm actually um, the Euros are on currently. Um, mm. I've, I've got a very good friend in Germany, um, and we're we're on a WhatsApp group with another friend, and we're having banter around the performance of the German <laughs> and England teams at the moment. Mm. So uh, I might well uh, put a request in him to find this book for me. Yeah. Till 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 Weber T I W L and Weber W E B E R. But that, that I mean, if it if it were in English. Um, Everybody who did Sengoku would have it on their shelves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with a bit of Google Translate, it's probably still worth getting if you don't speak yeah. any German. If you speak any German at all then, and you're interested in the Sengoku, then you should get them. Kleiner get Deutsch. Them. <laughs> is, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, yeah. so uh, there's two volumes? There's two volumes, yeah. And is it in print, do you know? Of um, I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. Oh. Uh, I'm pretty sure it is. You might have to now, hunt around for it a bit. This this is going to be interesting because I've, I've just mentioned Little War Steve uh, 
who's been on the show previously. Mm. And his choice for the God's Own Scale Virtual Library, I assured him, would be the most obscure book ever, uh, which was uh, a book to do with the Anabaptists in Munster oh, right. uh, in, in medieval times. But I think a German book in two volumes on the Sengoku Jedi period oh, may uh, rival it. So, uh, Steve, uh, Steve, you have a challenger. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I probably recommend you a couple of Japanese ones if you wanted. That would be <laughs> no, no, no. Well, listen, there's, uh, there's plenty of room on the shelves. So, uh, I think it was more likely that people could puzzle out German than they could Japanese. <laughs> the Japanese, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yes, that, uh, those two volumes will uh, sit very happily <laughs> on the shelves of uh, the God's Own Scale Virtual Library. So thank you very much for that. No problem. Uh, Gareth, it's been out. It has been an absolute blast. You've been, been a very, enjoyable. yeah, you've been a very easy guest to speak to. Uh, and you clearly know a lot about your subject. One of the great pleasures of this podcast is for me to set the guests going and me <laughs> to just sit back, put my feet up, put my arms behind my head and just enjoy listening as a listener to the podcast would do because i love i love it when i speak to people who've got the knowledge and the passion uh and and just let them go because i, I learn yeah. so much from people like yourself Gareth. Oh, that's all I mean. um so where can people find you oh on yeah the social um, medias? well you can find me on if you if you like um positive um if you like sort of vaguely um libelous uh, photoshops of wargaming celebrities you can find me on twitter at uh, at adc painting um if you, i've got a, a sengoku blog um which you can probably find by googling tenka fubu six mil and that'll probably find it and what does that mean because i've, I've found you oh, tenka fubu. fubu what does it mean yeah oh god it's not rude yeah. is it no oh, uh, it, it's a slogan adopted by oda nobunaga um, right. Uh, it means something like the country under military control, but there's a ton of debate about what it actually means. Ah, right. Okay. Uh, okay. But yeah, it, but it's, it does it, have it's a not, historical Oden, significance. It does. Yeah. It's not. It's Odin Obinaga. It's what Odin Obinaga uses on his seal, basically. Right. So uh, we've got a blog and we've got a Twitter Tenka where we can get hold of you. Yep. Yep. And you can um, be harassed. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and I do recommend everybody listening to go and check out the uh, the Twitter uh, account, not just for the faintly libelous photographs of wargaming glitterati, <laughs> yeah. uh, but caustic for banter, yeah, <laughs> and the caustic banter, but also um, the these fabulous photographs that I've, I've talked about, where we can see your work uh, because it is absolutely stunning and. Uh, the best I think I've seen, really. Um, oh, well, without, thank you very much. Well, you know, without blowing smoke yeah. where the sun doesn't shine, <laughs> uh, I don't want your head to get too big. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's that, it, it is incredible work. So uh, thanks very much for being the guest, and uh, I'll speak all. to you soon. Pleasure, Sean. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Gareth. 
I'm hoping there's at least one member of the Little Wars TV team whose ears will have perked up at the talk of Ashigaru and Samurai. Steve, yes, that's you. My own hobby news. I finally managed to get my American Civil War figures onto the table for a face-to-face -face game using Ultra Freedom. Myself and my long-suffering opponent, Aid, fought out Bull Run with the Confederates coming out on top. It's a tough game for the Union with command issues from the first turn, but we thoroughly enjoyed it and are looking forward to Shiloh for our next outing. I am now more than ever convinced that Ultra Freedom is that set of American Civil War rules that I've been looking for for the last 35 plus years. So thanks, Greg. It's greatly appreciated from this British fan of the American Civil War. Unfortunately, due to an extension of lockdown, the Hammerhead show has now been postponed until next year. It's looking more and more likely that Partisan in October will be the first post-lockdown big show, but more on that closer to the time. Painting-wise, I've continued with my six mill figures for Guildford Courthouse, and the British have now arrived from Bacchus, so I shall be making a serious push on those in the next few weeks. I suspect my plans for a big project this year, whether it be Blenheim or Waterloo, are going to get pushed back ever so slightly, possibly towards the end of the year or even into next year now that there is only so much time in the day. I've also continued to flitter around various periods in 15mm with my Peter Pig figures, which I've been enjoying thoroughly as a palette cleanser from painting so many 6mm figures over the last few months. Before I go, a quick shout out for Tom Godson's new podcast, Hobby Health Check. He's two episodes in and it's well worth you taking a hop over to anchor.com to check him out. I'll put the link up in the show notes. Tom takes a slightly different slant to your normal wargaming podcast. And he deserves lots of credit for tackling some different issues within the hobby. Uh, so do me and more importantly him a favour and head over to Hobby Health Check and have a listen. OK, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been sponsored by Coat Arms Paints and made possible by the God's Own Scale Patreons, whose help and support keep the lights on at God's Own Scale Towers. Links to Coat Arms will be in the show notes. Head over and check out what they have to offer the miniature painter. And if you would like to support the show, head over to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash God's Own Scale. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm on the Twitters at God's Own Scale or via email at God's Own Scale at gmail.com. Any feedback, comments, criticism is greatly appreciated. So until next time, Keep safe, play nice, and keep talking about six. Brother Bertie went away to do his bit the other day. With the smile on his lips and his left hand and fifth upon his shoulder, right and gay. As the train moved out, he said, remember me to all the birds. Then he wagged his paw and went away to war, shouting out these pathetic words. Goodbye, goodbye. Oh, I'm a dear baby, dear from your eye. Though it's hard to pass, I know, I know. I'll be, because I definitely don't know.